Reds win nine to nothing. We've been I, I personally have been begging for one of these. And we come on here, we come on to do this show, we we go live in the ninth inning, and it's just ho hum. Let's enjoy our day. The Reds won. We don't have to worry about it. We don't have to, we don't have to put Duarte in the game or Law in the game or whoever in the game, and then all of a sudden it's like we really have to bring Diaz in. Don't have to do that today. Thank the Lord. Uh, shout out Derek Law for some good innings, and um, we got a box score recap. Anything on your mind before we get into that box score recap? Now let's just jump right into this bad boy. All right, Reds-Dodgers, series finale, season finale against the Dodgers. Top of the first, Reds jumped all over the struggling Dodgers starting pitcher Michael Grove. Ellie De La Cruz led off the game with a single, smoked at 109 off the bat. Then TJ Friedel ripped a double to quickly put the Reds up one nothing. Matt McClain was hit by a pitch. Then Jake Fraley singled. That made it 2-0. And then a Spencer Steer RBI ground out made it a three-run first inning for Cincinnati. Top of the second, Ellie De La Cruz hit a solo home run. 111 off the bat, 411 feet. That made it 4-0 Reds. Top of the third, Matt McClain hit a home run that just kind of kept carrying. Somehow snuck out only 369 feet. But that made it 5-0 Reds. Then Joey Votto really put the hammer down on Michael Grove, hitting a 418-foot blast, 111.2 off the bat, 7-0 Reds. Graham Ashcraft, he threw six shutout innings. He only needed 85 pitches to get through six shutout. He's now got an ERA of 1.75 over his last six starts. Derek Lull, Daniel Duarte, uh, great in the bullpen, combined for three shutout innings. Reds added on a couple more. Reds win. 9-0, Reds finished the season series 4-2 and two against the mighty L.A. Dodgers. Reds now 58-49 and 49 on the year. Brewers, they got swept by the Braves. Who could have possibly saw that coming? Reds are now in first place in the NL Central, half game ahead of Milwaukee. And don't look now, but your Cincinnati Reds have a positive run differential at plus three. Let's go. <laughs> the stray shade. I love it. I mean, I don't know. The Brewers are a great team. I think they're a fantastic team. Phenomenal team. Unbelievable team. I'll tell you what. When I play the Brewers and I play the Braves, I immediately know that, that, that the Brewers are the real deal compared to the Braves. So I can't believe that you just sarcastically said that you can't possibly believe that the Braves swept the Brewers. But here we are. Uh, like I said before, I think the Brewers, unbelievable team. Unbelievable team. They're probably going to go out and win 100 and 100 games. We'll see if it happens. DSC, Deep South Commodities. You know the drill. The deep drive of the day. You know what's cool about this is you could say, who is it, Trace? Who hit the deep drive of the day? I'm not sure because there's too many guys that hit absolute bombs today, and that is true. But you know who it is? It's Joey Votto. I don't know how many more of these we get to see. I'm not suggesting we don't get to see any more, nothing like that. I hope he, hope he kills it. I do think this is Joey's last year, so every time Joey Votto hits a home run, I think we should make an executive order now that he should be the deep drive of the game. I don't give a damn how far it goes. If the ball goes over the fence and Joey Votto hits it, he deserves to be the deep, deep drive of the game. Anyways, let's get back to it. Ad read. Um, 111 miles an hour off the bat, Nick. I don't know if you know, but that's hard. That's, that's a hard-hit baseball. In Major League Baseball, if they keep track of that, it's called a hard-hit baseball. DSC is a leader in renewable commodities and biofuel production, specializing in used cooking oil collection, aggregation, and sales. Visit www.deepsouthcommodities.com for more information. Thank you again to our friends at Deep South Commodities. Nick, um, 
I got a little bit of a refresher yesterday. I was off the show. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm feeling, I'm feeling great, and I'm feeling refreshed. The Reds team looks like they feel refreshed. I don't know if that's a real thing or not, but it certainly felt that way today. And maybe that's just because they played well. I see it in the chat. Someone said this team can be really good if they care or if they tried. And I'm paraphrasing here. Hey, man, Major League Baseball, baseball in general is really hard. So that's just part of the deal. Sometimes this team's going to look great. Sometimes they might look bad. But over the course of a long year, it, the, the question's getting answered slowly but surely, in my opinion. You said it before, Nick. I've said it. We don't know what we have here, right? Like, was it just a good two-month run, two run of baseball, and then now we're going to see that the wheels start falling off and there's some cracks in the armor? But... Every time this team could have folded, could have laid down, they've answered the bell, Nick. Um, who didn't answer the bell was uh, Errol Spence Jr. That's a whole other story for another day for the boxing fans. Anyways, uh, the Reds offense bangs is the first topic of conversation. Your overall thoughts of today, and then anything else that's on your mind, Nick Kirby? You know, it really feels, Trace, like the Reds this year have really capitalized against pitchers that are struggling, um, Guys that came in, maybe, you know, not some of the best starters. Feels like the Reds have really beat up on those guys. And I know a lot of people could say, well, that they're supposed to do that. I think that's a lot harder said than done. I, I just there's been so many times in the past where you've been like, man, how can the Reds not be hitting this guy that, that came with an ERA of seven over his last six starts or, you know, his fips through the roof or, or whatever, whatever it might be? Really feels like the Reds this year overall have, have made pitches that are struggling struggle. And uh, I think that's just been been great to see. That's what this Reds team is going to have to do because the Reds, they got through this stretch, this 9-10 and 10 stretch. Where we had talked about it at length. Nine games against the Brewers, three against the Giants, three against the D-backs, three against the Dodgers. They went 9-10 and 10 in those games. Now they're going to get to play a lot of these uh, uh, more mediocre teams, a lot of more mediocre pitchers, and uh, you're going to have to do like what you did today uh, more often than not. You're going to still have games where you, you struggle. Just some guys have good nights and whatnot, but... I think that's what's really encouraging is that I think this young team can really beat up on bad pitching. It's almost like you're supposed to take care of uh, of who you're supposed to take care of, you know. And again, I always cross-reference other sports, but it definitely feels like in the NFL sometimes uh, good teams don't lose to, you know, basement feeders or, or bottom dwellers, whatever term you want to use. Um and that's what this Reds offense has done predominantly most of the year. Now, it doesn't mean they're going to do it every single time out, of course not. However, you look at the Dodgers yesterday, and you think to yourself, are the Dodgers, and I get it, they had a couple of, the, the Dodgers, they really only have two hits against Luke Weaver, and that's kind of what you were saying, right? Like, if you were a Dodgers fan yesterday, you're going like, what are we doing? Like, we can't get a hit off this guy? He's, he's got like a nine ERA. And, you know, and and 80% of Reds fans want want Weaver to be completely DFA'd, and, and, and next thing you know, he's got two hits through five innings or whatever it is. So, I, I, your point stands... Um, I would, I also want to add, I think we have an, I don't want to say enormous series. That's, a, that's probably putting a little too much emphasis on. I think this is a pretty big series, uh, going into Chicago. And maybe you're going to say every series is a big series here on out because just we're getting down to the nitty gritty time and the race is getting pretty close, but you have a Cubs team in the way they're playing that I think is, that's what makes this a little bit different than a normal Cubs series per se, right? The Cubs are playing well, they're playing good baseball. I'm not afraid to admit that. I mean, you you know, you could sit there and deny it all you want, but they have been playing really good baseball in the last two, three weeks, and 
This is one of those series where you can kind of put them back in their place a little bit, or you can let them right back in the race. That's that's the truth. If and and again, if we if we were to sweep them, and again, four game series sweeping somebody is very very unrealistic. I know, but if we were to sweep the Cubs, you can forget about their postseason chances, their hopes, their dash. They're 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 completely gone. If they were to do the, the vice versa of that and sweep us, they'd be right back in the mix, and you could make the argument that they're just as good of a chance to win the division as maybe the. I don't know, the Brewers or the Reds, whoever. So, you know, if you told me right now we split with the Cubs, I'd take it, move on, keep keep it clean, because I think if this team plays 500 baseball for the next 20 days, then I think they have a really good chance, a really good chance to make the postseason. So, um, but that's here nor there. First, let's get into Graham Ashcraft. I thought he threw the ball again, stellar today, and uh, he's he's starting to become the guy that we needed him to be where if this Reds team doesn't make a move, I'm not saying you point directly to Graham Ashcraft, but you can point, you can give Graham Ashcraft some credit for that because if he wasn't throwing the ball well at all, I don't think Nick Crawl would have a choice. He'd have to go out and try to find some kind of help uh, from a starting pitching perspective. But uh, but he's kind of been not a saving grace, but he's definitely been a bright spot, and he looks like him old his old self. Um, I didn't get a chance to see the interview that I seen they kind of went to during the game. Maybe you got a chance to see that and what he said on on kind of what last year versus this year. I'll dig that back up and maybe listen to it uh, later tonight. But anyways, I thought he threw the ball well, um, and that's a long-winded way of saying it. He's had a really, really wild year. This is a, a really good uh, synopsis here from uh, uh, Brandon at DeWink33. First six starts of the year. ERA of an even two. Next eight, ERA of 12.82. Then his last six starts, an ERA of 1.75. So really just a, a wild year. Um, I'm I, Today, no walks. That That's the first thing that, that jumps out to me. Good lineup at Dodger Stadium. You didn't walk anyone. Um, not a ton of hard hit balls. I think it was five or six. So kind of a okay in that department. Not great, not, not terrible. But, uh, uh, man, just what he's done now, he's turned around the season. It definitely, I think makes the Reds probably feel a little bit more safe if, if they don't if they aren't able to find a match for for a trade uh, a trade partner here at the deadline that that Graham Ashcraft has turned it around and you know with with Green and Lodolo hopefully coming back not too far off uh, he, he definitely I think gives them a little bit more flexibility in that and uh, he's just been he's been awesome I just I, I know I've said it before it's just like when he started this six game stretch here we were about to send him to AAA. I mean, and I don't think we were really all that off on that. I think most people were with us. Like, it's like, you got to do something here. It's just, it's not working. And uh, I'm not sure what he did to really just turn this thing around, but it's been an incredible ride. We do have Jack McMullen coming up. For those that don't know Jack, I'll let Kirby kind of shine some light on him. I don't want to misspeak by any means. What should we come to expect when Jack arrives? Yeah, Jack is uh, one of the play-by-play announcers for the Indianapolis Indians who just finished six games against the Louisville Bats. Jack also covers baseball in a national perspective for just baseball. So I'm really excited to hear what his thoughts were on Noel V. Marte, Connor Phillips, uh, Levi Stout, Jose Barrero. Just saw those those guys over the last six days. So I uh, thought it'd be a great time to bring him on. And so looking forward to talking to Jack. Uh, you want to talk a little bit more about the offense today? Uh, yeah, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't trying to blow past it. How about Ellie De La Cruz? I mean, how'd I know? How did I know Nick Kirby was going to bring up Ellie De La Cruz? I mean, how did I know? I I seen Ellie had like four hits today, and I thought, oh my god, I don't know if Kirby's going to be able to make it to the stream. 
I'm just wondering if he's like getting jittery and needs to take some kind of some some um that's beside the point. I wasn't gonna say it. I, I won't say it. Kitty a kid show. It's a kid show. All right. Anyways, you're gonna get blamed for doing drugs anyways, and I wasn't gonna try to put that in your own mouth because I don't you, you, to be for those that don't know, Nick Kirby is as clean as a whistle, okay? He doesn't do that. Now I know you guys in the chat, I know you guys always want to act like he's doing something because it's a funny joke, but he's as clean as they come. I, I listen. That. I'm, I'm glad. Yeah, I didn't want to put. I didn't want there to be any kind of speculation out there. Listen, Ellie is Ellie. I've said this a thousand times. I don't know why we have to keep doing this in a way. Do we should should we bring up the fact that he that he had a great game? Yes, we should. But I don't think we should come. What's the right word to use? And maybe I'm being. Uh, maybe I'm not being grateful enough. I I kind of come to expect this a little bit from him. Like he's he's too good to struggle. For extended periods of time, and not at least bring something to the table. Elliot, who did a great job as always when it comes to the show, he he mentioned yesterday. Oh, I think you guys got a super chat. When are we allowed to be concerned about Ellie? And I thought Elliot did a great job of saying, you know, the things that he brings to the table that are not his baseball bat, not when he steps in the box, are valuable enough to play on this team on a regular basis. His speed, his his defensive uh, uh, abilities, the fact that he can play shortstop and third base, and he does them both exceptional, in my opinion, speaks for itself. So, is it nice to see him g- get going a little bit, Nick? Of course it is, but I kind of expected that. Am I, am I being too uh, ungrateful to just sit here and ex- assume that Ellie De La Cruz is going to tear the cover off the baseball eventually? Because some of my belief system comes from the fact that he hits the ball so damn hard. He, You know, yeah, he goes like two for his last 20, but some of those outs he makes, Nick, are like 110-mile-an-hour line drives right at guys. Yeah, I think that we should expect that that Ellie De La Cruz is going to be an above-average player. Now, an above-average player might be a 220 batting average when it's all said and done, but he's going to do enough um, with his with his power, with his defense, with his speed that's going to make him an above-average player. So I think we should expect that, um, but I think we should also allow him to be a rookie to, to be a young player um, that, that's just getting his, his feet wet at the big league level. So I think it's got to be a little bit of both. And the same probably applies to um, Matt McClain and Spencer Steer and, and and some of these other guys. And really, like, like T.J. Friedel, he's been a guy that I've been, I've been high on all year. You know, nice night today, two for five. He's got uh, four multi-hit games over his last eight. I don't want to crush people, but it's like, Friedel's had like five straight months where he had been an above average hitter. Uh, he'd been a consistent player and he has one month where he struggles and we're like, boom to the end of the lineup. Like we got to do something like you have to let these guys struggle a little bit. You, you, and that's, I think what makes David Bell, I think a really, really good manager is that he allows that. And I think that is a big reason why this culture has been set where young players can come up and have some instant success is because that, that, you put a lot of faith, you put a lot of trust into them. Um, and, and I think that's that's an important thing to remember kind of as the season plays on. Um, and it's been as good as we possibly could have dreamed here, uh, you know, into August. You know, the one person I, if you want to say, when are we allowed to be, get concerned about him yet, uh, would be CES, largely because I think that there was a lot of hype with him coming in. He's He's been a rookie so far to a small extent. Uh, I don't think he's comfortable right now. I, I think, and I, I guess my point is, I don't think it's the pitching. Like some people, are like oh, AAA pitching versus major league pitching. I don't think it's that right now with him. I think it's just this, this desire to want to do so well that you're 
you're you're trying to overachieve a little bit and you're chasing and I'm saying chasing pitches but you're you're pulling off the ball just a little bit cuz you want you're trying to I don't want to say you're trying to provide power but you just in a way you are so I hope and I'm not suggesting CES needs to get sent down or anything like that. Let me be very clear. I think he should continue to develop, and, and let's just keep giving him at-bats and, and let him struggle through it, and eventually he'll find himself out on the other side of this. I'm fairly confident in. But I'd like to see him get back to just driving the ball the other way if it's pitched outside. Don't feel like you got to pull off everything. And I know that's easier said than done, but I think he's pressing a little bit right now, and I hope that that goes away. I hope, and, and, and I'm not saying it takes somebody to tell him that, but it, it'd be nice if you know somebody pulled him to the side. Maybe they already have, but like, hey, listen, man, you, you can go O for your next twenty. You're still going to be here. Just relax and play. You don't have to hit all. You know, you don't have to be a hero every time you come up. Um, so he's chasing pitches. But as to your point, Nick, and you said this all along. Um, he has flaws. I mean, a, a part of a part of what you have always said about him having to get you know uh, some work down in the minor leagues was the fact that he does chase pitches and his walk rate isn't very good. And those things change. To be fair to him, a little bit towards the end. But uh, you're are you worried or where are you at with CES? CES has really been in a tough spot where he clearly should not have been in AAA as long as he was. And I don't really necessarily blame the Reds on that. I think it was a tough spot because they had just so many players that burst onto the scene that are, were ahead of schedule. So it's kind of like he he had been down there so long and he finally got caught up. It, it probably put more pressure on himself than needed to be. Uh, and then he comes up and he's also kind of in a rotation. And... I don't want to say like Jonathan Indy getting hurt is obviously not a blessing for the Reds in any way, but for CES, he's going to get a chance now to play pretty much every day. So that, that there might be a little bit of pressure taken off of, all right, Hey, I know I'm going to start four or five games this week. Hey, I know I'm going to start all six games this week. doesn't matter if I go over my next 12, David Bell's going to put me in the lineup the next day. Uh, and, and so I don't know, maybe that can also kind of help, help him, um, and his development, just knowing that he's going to get to play every day. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's you never really know. Tomorrow, um, CES could hit two home runs, and everybody you know, is like, oh, there he is. There's that guy that we knew or come to expect. The next thing you know, just like Ellie. I mean, yesterday, and I'm not suggesting that it was a bad topic of conversation. I thought it was relevant. It was it was rightfully to be discussed. But, you know, how how worried should we be about Ellie? And then the next day, he's, you know, he's, he's got four. He had four hits, right? So yeah, if he has four hits, hits a home run, and the and uh, and damn near clears Dodger Stadium, and my you know, it's rightfully it's rightful to be concerned about guys that have not proven themselves, and for for, for seventy to eighty percent of this lineup, that's what we got. We don't know what we have. I mean, it's wild to think, but um, that's the facts. Do you want to do you want to speculate a little bit? Uh, we, we talked about this a little bit the other day. We're getting closer and closer to the deadline speculative one way or the other about Verlander. I think it's an interesting thing. I wonder from your perspective, the fact that he went out and he did his, you know, I don't, I'm not suggesting, I guess I am. He threw the ball so well today and he's been throwing the ball so well of late that do you convince yourself a little bit more than you would if he, if he went out today and gave up seven runs or six runs and in three innings, 
you kind of like, oh, see, that there's Verlander. He's 40 years old. You don't want to invest too much in him. But then today he goes out and he dominates, he shoves, and you're like, I don't know, man. Maybe you do give up a low-level prospect guy. And I say low-level, not in the rankings of the sense, but in the in the level of play that they're at, you know, a, a Collier-type type. But and Collier's a baby, so I'm not suggesting he's the guy. But you get my point. I, It's tempting. It's tempting. And you know what? I don't know if it would be a... I, I mean, I guess my point is, I don't think it'd be a bad move. It would just come down to how much are the Mets willing to pay of a salary, right? Which is, which is, which is this, Nick. You, when everyone wants to tell Trace and you and whoever else, when they want to say, hey, small market teams can win... All they got to do is develop. They got to do X, Y, Z, and they can hang with the big dogs. Well, here's where the big dogs matter. Because if this was the Dodgers or if this was Boston or New York or whoever else right now, Nick, they'd be like, yeah, we'll give you we'll give you a single-A prospect and we'll just eat a lot of the salary because we don't give a shit because we got the money. Now, we don't have the money, so we're kind of in a spot where we got we to gotta find a way to make it worth it from a prospect's level. Or they got to give us a lot back. Well, I think in this case, I think the Mets want to take on the salary, and they because they want to. They're basically buying prospects with the right. contract. That's correct. That's essentially what they're doing. That's what they did with Max Scherzer. Um, I'm sure they were telling teams. And if if you were a Mets fan and you were promised, you know, Steve Cohen's gonna spend like no one else, you want him to be eating these contracts that 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 he signed uh, to to get prospects back. If you're going to give these players up, so. I don't really think it's it's really has anything to do with how much the Reds are willing to eat or not willing to eat. It, it's um, a little it, bit of it is. In terms of, well, I mean, Justin Verlander has no trade value if they're not eating the, the contract. I mean, I'm saying, okay, yeah, I'm saying, if you were to tell the Mets right now that they were, you're going to eat, you're going to eat the whole entire the whole entire salary, so you don't have to worry about that anymore. We're just going to take the money, like we're, it's going to cost us a lot. You're not going to get Cam Collier, but you're going to get Jorge, or you're going to get. Or you're going to get somebody else that 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 you might want to hold on to. Like my point is, is that you could probably convince the Mets that we're going to take a little bit more of the salary, which we're not, and give a little bit of a lower level prospect in return. And I think they might bite on that. Versus we don't, we're not in a position to be able to do that. We got to just fight for our prospect. Like we got to have to sell off prospects. And they and you could say they might not do that, but I think that they would. I don't know. I mean, if that was the case, like like Houston. I don't know why Houston wouldn't have already jumped on that and have gotten him because Houston, I, I would assume, has more money to spend and could could take on that full contract, but they don't have a single top 100 prospect. So I, I don't know. If, if I was a Mets fan, I would be saying, Cohen, you need to be eating most of this. You need to be eating as much as you possibly can to get you the absolute highest return. And I think that's what the Mets are doing. That's what everything is, uh, um, at least that I've read, has said. Now, uh, some stuff on, on Verlander today if I'm reading into this correctly, it sounds like Verlander at this point is not agreed to be traded. And so it sounds like the Mets might have some stuff in, in play, but Verlander at this point is not agreed to be traded. Um, so I think the ball is really in host court. Now, if you remember back when he got traded to Houston, he was actually traded at the, the waiver deadline when that was still a thing. And it went down to like the last couple minutes before that deadline. And Verlander finally like caved and said, hey, I'll be traded. So it, it might be a, a, an interesting thing. And Verlander also has a, a vesting option for 2025. I don't know if you can automatically 
I don't know if you can rewrite the contract to say that automatically gets picked up in the middle of the contract or not. I don't know the answer to that, but that could also be something he might be wanting to use as leverage as this plays out. This could be very interesting okay. to see how this how he plays out, not just for the Reds, but for anyone else over the next uh, less than what, 47 hours, 47 hours. We should have a clock on this, Trace. Next year, we got to get a clock on the trade deadline. You want a clock? Like, you can know, get like, a clock. We'll get a like clock. A, you want a clock, Nick? Like on, you want a clock? Like on CNN, you know, uh, polls close in 18 hours and 43 minutes. Like, we need that for the trade deadline. CNN. Never heard of it. Is that a news station? <laughs> I think so. No. All I right. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's, it's a joke. That it's was a, a very bad miscalculation. It's all good. <laughs> We'll cover all the bases right now. It could be an MSNBC countdown. It could be a Fox News countdown. All right. That should take care of the comments. All right. Where do I go from here? I I would just final thoughts on it. I don't think that you could you could say it's a bad deal one way or the other. I think you could make a clear case argument over why you should take uh, Verlander and why you shouldn't take Verlander based off of the prospects, obviously. And when I say based off the prospects, I'm just going off of a Collier-type player, right? Somebody that's valuable but is young. You could make the argument that you don't know for sure if they're going to end up being a decent Major League Baseball player because, well, they're really young. You could also make the argument that Collier could be a 12, a 12 to 13 to 14-year All-Star and go into the Baseball Hall of Fame, and that is also still... Possible, probable, probably not, but you get my point. Um, is there any other really big names, and I say big names, I don't think there's really other, other any other big names per se that are even still available for the Reds to have a realistic shot at, right? I know Otani got floated around there weeks ago, but that is uh, completely blasphemous. That's not happening, but outside of that, you know, you have Verlander. Is there, is there even anyone else that I'm not aware of right now, off the top of my head, or that that maybe people that are that are like me who don't dig w- deep into the well on on the trade possibilities? Is there anyone else that comes to mind? Well, Eduardo Rodriguez of the uh, the Tigers was uh, mentioned as the Reds actually have had some some contact about him. He's got a really weird opt out where most I believe most people think he's going to opt out at the end of this year which makes him a rental but if say he came to Cincinnati and just completely fell off the face of the earth yeah he still owed quite a bit of money I think he's got like two more years on his contract so he's kind of a different one uh the big thing is are the Padres selling or not is Blake Snell available no one really knows if the Padres are going to pivot that way um Lorenzen's still out there um, the Cardinals, they traded Jordan Montgomery already, so they do have Jack Flaherty. Would they do an interdivision trade? Um, but that's that's pretty much it. Um, I think it's probably Verlander or Rodriguez or Bust for the Reds. I don't think the Reds are going to look to add a Lorenzen type starter. I could be wrong, but I don't I don't see that. I think the Reds they're I, I think the Reds and and Nick Crawl are saying we're not giving up any prospects for Lance Lynn or yeah. Um, Michael Lorenzen will we'll may we'll consider it for Justin Verlander, you know, uh, who could you know bring, bring him in and could win you a playoff series almost on his own, right? That that's kind of how I see. I think I think the Reds ultimately will be adding a couple relievers, and that'll probably be what the deadline looks like. Really I'll take Verlander. I'll take Verlander if we can find a way to make sure that he's available next year. Like he he's he, he can't opt out or whatever. And I would be is, willing. Go ahead. 
He's under he's under contract next year. He has a vesting option for 2025, where if he throws 140 innings in 2024, that automatically gets picked up. 2025 is 35 million. Next year's 43 million. But you would be expecting that the Mets are probably picking up about 30 million next year, which is what they picked up for Scherzer. How many times do you think that this situation arises in Verlander? You'll never you you don't you don't you, he's another guy. You're not 100 percent sure what you're getting because he's so old. However, he might just be one of those guys that just seems like you know Tom Brady esque, where you just you write Tom Brady off five six years before he actually should be written off type thing. You know Verlander is special, so I I don't think it's one of those things where you could. I don't think that you could just point to Verlander's age and be like, automatically he's out because most people don't pitch at this. Like, I don't know. That just seems that seems like a wild, a wild thing to say in regards to Verlander specifically. However, how many times do you get an opportunity as a franchise like the Reds to where you're in a position where you're very, very young, you don't have a ton of money on the books next year, and you can essentially trade for a guy that you have to spend a ton of money normally to get and another team's going to eat most of that in just in just in return what they're asking for are prospects. And those prospects, to be fair, they might cost you a lot. But I'm just saying, that that opportunity in and of itself to get a Verlander for the Reds at this stage of his career doesn't come around, come around all that often, if ever. Yeah, and that, that's why I'm a little more willing to go for, for Justin Verlander than, you know, um, even Lucas Giolito. I just... And I don't know. May, I very well could be just drinking the Kool Aid on this, but man, right. you get Justin Verlander a playoff series, I, and I know experience can be very overrated. But at the same time, this is Justin Verlander. I mean, yeah. I, trust me, I I can be convinced. I, I I can be convinced to do it. I know that we've been prospect huggers on this show for pretty much our existence. I don't think we've ever one time in this show decided that we were going to be like, you know what, let's go, forget it, forget the farm. But I do think that there's some people that, that scream and yell about the prospect thing, Nick. They want to scream and yell at you, they at you, they they make fun of, not make fun of, they don't make fun of you, of course, not, you can't be made fun of, Nick. But my point is, my point is, is that they have a little bit of a point that if one guy or two guys breaks your whole entire foundation of your farm system, then you probably don't have that good of a farm system anyways. That's a little bit of a fair point. You know who else could probably speak on our farm system? Jack. Jack's in the house. Let's bring him in now. Thank you for joining the show. I don't know how much you heard about us sitting here speculating about Verlander. I don't know if you have anything that you want to add on that before we get into the nuts and bolts of what you might know best. It heard a lot of it. Um, it's probably not good that I'm hopping on right now because you guys are already prospect huggers, and uh, I am one of the bigger prospect huggers, I think, in baseball. So that's a serious issue that I'll need to address. I think that's an off-season thing for me to tackle and uh, gotcha. the conversations with non-baseball people to, to help me address that. All right, Jack. Well, excited to have you on, especially after uh, the Louisville Bats just played against the, uh, the Indianapolis Indians. Were you on the call for all six games? I was on the call for three, and then I was around the ballpark for two of the other days. Had a great conversation with Connor Phillips, which is coming out on our prospect podcast, The Call Up. It's about 10 minutes, and we talk about Connor's pitch mix and his acclimation to triple after using that pre-tack baseball in the Southern League. So really good conversation for you guys to look out for. All right, well, let's jump into Connor Phillips. Give us a little – you don't have to – we want everyone to listen to your podcast, and we want you to hype that at the end for sure. But give us a little bit of a – what was your thoughts overall on Connor Phillips? 
Uh, I think he had a, did he have a, a good start, but he walked a bunch of guys this week? Yeah, so it was like run prevention is the name of the game, and I think it was five innings of one run ball. So he did his job there, five punch outs, but five walks as well. And he's coming off of an outing where he was, what, seven shutout innings, 11 punches, and two walks. So, I mean, this guy like has electric stuff, and we talked about that. He knows he has electric stuff, and, you know, the gift in that arm is special. And that's a major league arm by sheer arm talent alone. And a lot of what we kind of talked about uh, in this, you know, 10 minute conversation is how do I rein it in? How do I find, you know, success within the strike zone? He's got a really high spin, high vertical break fastball that plays well at the top of the zone. That was very easy in double A with that pre-tack baseball. Now he goes to the major league baseball and it's not often you talk about the ball itself, but that's kind of the issue that you've been presented with in double A this year, especially, well, it was only the Southern League. So Chattanooga, they're running into that issue. But I, I think once Connor kind of gets his fastball command exactly where he needs it, and he's 22 in triple, I think that's a matter of when, not if, this guy can be really special in terms of getting whiffs within the strike zone. So I don't think you actually got a chance to see Andrew Abbott pitch this year, correct? Not live. Um, obviously, I watch a ton of video, as does uh, Arm Layton. So I watched uh, probably close to full minor league starts before he made his big league debut. So for Reds fans, obviously, the easy thing is, all right, where is Connor Phillips on the Andrew Abbott scale? I know that's maybe not a fair question, but I'm going to yeah. make you I'm going to ask you. No, that's fine. I appreciate you asking me. Um, it is. It's so apples to oranges with those two guys because they are like, I think, exact opposite pitchers. And Abbott was a pitchability guy and the stuff got better kind of as he grew up at Virginia and in pro ball. Phillips, like it's all stuff. How do you rein it in and find that perfect middle ground where you have command too and you find that polish? I think on the Abbott scale, if Abbott is a 10 when he came up, Phillips is probably a 7. But, like, I would put Lodolo at an 8, and I would put Green at a 7. Like, I, I don't know. There were, some, there were some serious things that Green needed to work through when he first got up for his Major League debut. Lodolo kind of could hit the ground running. There wasn't much tinkering that had to happen with his arsenal. Kind of same deal with Abbott. There's going to be no tinkering there. With Phillips, I think he's going to hit some of the similar roadblocks that Hunter Green hit in his first, you know, however many starts. So do you do you think the Reds should call up Connor Phillips this year? Do you think you let him sit? It's I I don't know, man. Like you see a five walk outing and and you probably just shudder a little bit because you know five walks in triple turns into five walks in the bigs and and big league hitters will jump on the one pitch that finds the strike zone. I don't. He's so young. He's twenty two years old in triple. I don't think, especially if the Reds are in this wild card race or this division race. I don't think it makes much sense to thrust that guy into a high-intensity situation, but I think that's a guy to watch out of camp for next year. There's no situation in your mind that you could see playing out, and the Reds have 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 got themselves in a position now, I would argue, Jack, that, that the starting pitching 
maybe isn't as bad. Uh, maybe that's not the right term to use, but it, it's not as dire as it may have looked about a month ago, right? Where, where you're starting to question whether or not you can even piecemeal a three-man rotation, let alone a five-man rotation. Thank the Lord Jesus Christ for Andrew Abbott, because if it wasn't for him, I'm not sure that we would have we would have been able to stay around to watch much baseball, because people would have probably already counted the Reds out. However, you're you're basically saying, is there any situation, though, that you could say, maybe I would go to Connor if if this happened. I know that's not fair, but that's what we do here. Yeah, no, I, I totally get it. Well, when the Reds had Justin Verlander, I think this problem is easily avoided. So that that's the big thing that I think we can just kind of cross <laughs> off. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, they're getting Lodolo and Green back at the end of August, it sounds like. What, mid, mid-August ETA for Lodolo and Green right after, or do I have it backwards? Uh, I think Green's first, correct, Nick? Green's first. Yeah, Green's August 20th is the target. Lodolo somehow into August. Okay, got you. Yeah, I mean, I think with those reinforcements coming, you don't force it. I, I think the go-to idea with Connor Phillips is probably, hey, is he going to come up and throw two innings at a time? Is he going to come up and throw an inning at a time? I don't think you need to do that to that guy. I think the Orioles did it last year in a wild card chase with D.L. Hall, who was their premier left-handed pitching prospect. I think they did it because Hall was already flawed as a starting pitching prospect. He was a guy that was throwing 100, had a great changeup, was working on that slider, but, I mean, he couldn't throw a strike to save his life. So they were like, okay, you know what, this is probably going to work out in a multi-inning relief role. Same deal with Matt Brash in Seattle. I don't think you need to do that with Phillips. I think this guy is good enough. He's got the pitch mix to be a major league starting pitcher. I don't think you need to thrust him into a setup role, you know, even if the situation is dire. Fair enough. All right, let me ask you about another pitcher that you got to see this week. Lyon Richardson, a guy who has flown through the red system, who at least to me, it feels like the Reds are pushing him to add him at some point this year to the roster. I could be wrong. What was your thoughts on this guy who uh, made his uh, AAA debut and what just struck out five batters in three innings? Yeah, that's a guy that screams setup guy. He totally is that high leverage reliever as you guys are pushing for a wild card or a division. So... I think Lyon put together half of the most competitive pitching matchup I've seen this year. And that was Lyon Richardson and Jared Jones for Indy. And Jones has, you know, broke out, broken out in a huge way. He's probably a top 100 prospect. Um, He's one of the best pitching prospects, if not the best in the Pirates organization. Jones topped at 99.9. Richardson topped at about 98.9 or maybe 99.1. Those guys, it was like the most hyper-masculine, insane back-and-forth matchup you had where it was, I'm going to throw the hell out of the ball. Next half inning, other guy's going to throw the hell out of the ball. That's a fireballer in every sense of the word. He's confident as heck. Uh, I think that guy makes a lot of sense in high-leverage moments in September. All right, Noel V. Marte. He has been tearing it up at AAA, somehow putting up better numbers at AAA. And of course, sticky, sticky ball uh, added to that. Careful, Nick. I had a pretty, had a pretty, uh, had a pretty good week. And the the Indians have some pretty solid pitching prospects uh, at their level right now. Yeah, no, I his one homer this week was 420 dead center uh, off Jared Jones, and it was like the one mistake that Jones made and. Yeah, the Indians were running out good pitchers. Jones was the best. And the fact that Noelvi took the best deep was really impressive. 
this guy's bat is so good for a 21 year old. It has no business being this advanced. Yes, you know, the swing can get long at points, but I've seen him push 105, 106 to right center. This guy is so gifted with the stick. Question now becomes, where is he going to play? Is he going to get better at the position that he plays at defensively? But offensively, I mean, this guy is so ridiculously exciting. All right, uh, Jose Barrero, kind of a guy that that a lot of Reds fans have written off, some fair, some not, um, has rejuvenated his career to some extent at at AAA. What, what do you think about where he's at, and do you think he's a guy the Reds should be looking maybe to be shopping here over the next uh, 46 hours? What do you think? Yeah, I, I guess probably see what you can get for Jose Barrero um, because he's tried and unfortunately hasn't succeeded several times now at the major league level. And each quote-unquote failed audition you have at the big league level diminishes your value a little bit more. Um, Barrero, not like he's certainly not at the profile that Kelnick was at, but, but Jared Kelnick, I mean, this was like last chance for him to succeed, and he did succeed in Seattle. For Barrero, he was given multiple opportunities to succeed, and he just never really did it. Obviously, he's got tools, man. Obviously, he's got a, a howitzer of an arm. He's got juice. I mean, he lined a homer to right center. It was it had no business getting out. But, I mean, like he hit it that hard on a clothesline, and it got out in the blink of an eye. Uh, Barrero, I don't know where his value is, and I think that's the trickiest part. Nick Crawl definitely knows where his value is, and I think Nick Crawl is going to make a good decision with Jose Barrero. All right, I got one le- one last guy to to ask you about, and then I want you to to hype up all the great stuff you guys do at Just Baseball. Levi Stout, a guy that that maybe has kind of gotten a little forgotten about, I had a pretty good outing this week. Where do you think his career is kind of at right now? Yeah, I mean, it's probably are you going to make the move to the pen or are you going to be a starting pitcher? Um, I think he can be a starting pitcher. I'm impressed with Levi Stout, but obviously he ran into some serious issues in his major league debut and, you know, the couple of outings after that as well. So it's always tough to peg those guys that are solid at the AAA level, go up and, I mean, get the doors blown off. And unfortunately, that was Levi Stout. So I don't know, like, we'll see. Um, I think that's a guy that you can totally turn into a bullpen piece and see if the stuff ticks up. Uh, fastball, if I'm not mistaken, is like right around 93, 94. If that guy turns into 96, 97, he can be a legit reliever for the Cincinnati Reds. I saw the Pirates do that with Carmen Majinski, who was a first-round pick in 2020. Um, Majinski was like 92 to 94 with the heater. This spring, they moved him into like a one- or two-inning relief role, and then all of a sudden he was popping 97, 98. So – I think if Stout kind of follows that path and really leans on his two best pitches, you could see him as as a bullpen guy. But I think it's it's probably time to assess like how that guy looks on the Cincinnati Reds instead of this is a project as a starting pitcher. Well, Jack, I've said it a million times, just baseball, the absolute best place for national coverage, especially with the trade deadline. Tell us what all you got in the works and what everyone could find at just baseball. Yeah, so we've got a whole bunch of deadline coverage coming out. Obviously, we're doing the podcast five days a week, but um, we're going to do a little live show for the deadline. It's going to be, I think, the hour leading up to the trade deadline. So I think that's 6 o'clock on Tuesday, 6 Eastern. So we'll be uh, live streaming 4.30 or 5 to 6. Yeah, a whole bunch of written stuff. Just baseball.com will be like the place to be. We've got a deadline tracker. 
Um, we, we have a whole bunch of good stuff going on there editorially. Um, and then, man, we, we've had a really unique opportunity to get Walker Bueller's thoughts every week, uh, who grew up a Reds fan, Lexington, Kentucky guy. So we're going to talk to Bueller about Kike Hernandez and Joe Kelly rejoining the fold. And uh, if Lance Lynn has taken his spot, I don't think he's taking his spot. Ask him how he likes the Reds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> tough, tough, tough season series with Reds. No, that's a really good show. And uh, uh, Walker also was a, a, a big bourbon guy and always uh, has some interesting facts. I enjoy that. Yeah, dude. I, I've had more Buffalo Trace in the last <laughs> two months than I've had in my life. And I love it. I'm really not upset about it. Uh, also, just to make sure clear here, uh, I don't know how many of our audience are boomers, but when he says just baseball.com, he means J U S T baseball.com. Please yeah, don't I'm go to, please don't go to baseball.com. All right. Just, just to clear the air there, Jack, I want to make sure J U S T baseball.com is where you can find your guys' great work. Correct. Can, can, yes. Can I ask for a guess as to what you would find if you went to baseball.com? Cause I've never tried. Actually, you know what? We'll do it live right here on the air. You ready for this? Yeah. Ready ready for this? Thinking either baseball equipment or rules of the sport. Um that's a great that's a great guess, but you know what? The fact of the matter is is that I hope it's website you, you, you would be you would be wrong because this is this is what you get. You ready? Yeah. Oh my god, look how great that is, Jack. That's all, wait. Baseball equipment. I wasn't totally wrong. Can you believe that? How long do you think that those folks have been holding out on baseball.com and they're just waiting for the highest bidder and the highest bidder has just never come? Dude, the price of that domain name has to be through the freaking roof. That's actually <laughs> why you show up to this show right here. For that small little segment that we just did, that's why you actually come and watch this show. Yes. Nick, you got anything else for Jack? No, Jack, you're the best. Thanks so much for making time for us tonight. No, you guys are awesome. Talk whenever. Thank you to Jack, by the way. Very nice of him to join us, provide some insight. All right, we got some Reds in my LB, Nick. Let us let us hear about it. All right, I'll try to go quick since we, you know, I've already had the whole segment on Reds in my LB. But Louisville Bats, they lost eleven to three. Noelvi Marte was two for four, just continuing to to hit really really well at the uh, AAA level. Jose Barrero got the day off, and then Jason Vossler pitched a scoreless inning. What a guy! What a guy! Double A Chattanooga, they lost seven to five. Uh, Blake Dunn had another great day. He was three for four, drove in two. Reese Hines uh, was one for three. And then the Dayton Dragons, they won 4-2. The Dragons, uh, they have won eight of their last nine. They've improved to 50 and 46. And the Dragons are now in a tie with Fort Wayne for first place in the East Division of the Midwest League. Uh, Arroyo was uh, one for five with a stolen base, his 22nd of the season. And then the Tortugas, well, our fellows down there, their struggles continue. They've lost six straight games, now 40 and 53 on the season as they lost seven to four to Lakeland. Cam Collier did have a good day today, uh, two for five with a double. Victor Costa, two for three with two walks. And that is your Reds MILB presented by Betfred Sportsbook. Who, what, when, where, and why? All right, Reds, uh, four-game series against the Chicago Cubs starting on Monday night. The Cubs, they had won eight in a row before they were shut out 3 nothing by the Cardinals on Sunday. Cubs are a major league best 15-7 and since July 4th. A lot of speculation about what the Cubs will do at the trade deadline. They said they there's a report they're not going to trade Cody Bellinger. Report they're still listening to Monday's starting pitcher, 
Marcus Stroman. So maybe we'll see him, maybe we won't. Uh, Marcus Stroman having a great year. He's got a 3.51 ERA, but in July, he's got a 7.99 ERA in five starts. His pitch a little better at Wrigley Field. ERA uh, just over three at home. ERA just over four on the road. Reverse splits this year. Lefties are actually uh, hitting significantly worse against them than righties. He has a uh, really great 2.55 career ERA against the Reds, but has not faced the Reds this season. And then for the Reds, it'll be Andrew Abbott. He's been incredible over his last two starts. No runs in 14 innings. Can't do much better than that. Abbott has never faced the Cubs, but he did face the Iowa Cubs. Uh, that was actually his first ever AAA start. And Christopher Morell and uh, Michael Talkman were both in the lineup who are both uh, typically in the Cubs lineup. Morell hit a home run against them. So Reds-Cubs, Monday, 8.05. Uh, Trace, I... I love when the Reds and Cubs are both good or relative or whatever. And there's games at Wrigley field, especially at night. I just feel like there's a, there's a different kind of energy than a lot of other games. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I don't, I don't get wrapped up in Wrigley as much as others do. I think that it's a cool, um, what's the right word to hear? I, I don't want to do it, do it injustice. Um, I think it's, I think it's a cool park. Do I, I guess I don't get wrapped up in the nostalgia of Wrigley as as maybe as I should. Um, I think that the ivy on the wall is neat, but outside of that, I don't know. I mean, it, it, I, I you know like I don't I don't think that it's like this unbelievable place. And I think a lot of that comes from my just sheer fact that they're division rivals, and you know, I think that Fenway's a significantly. It's not even like they're not even the same stratosphere of of the parks i just think i do think like when the cubs are even average and you're playing them in a night game there's some really really awesome energy like, i think back to 2019 reds were out of the race but the cubs were in the race reds ended up knocking the cubs out of that race which was awesome but right. there was just a really cool energy and it was i don't know maybe it was just because like that whole month of september it was really just kind of playing out the string and then you play these games against the cubs and there was just like this energy that kind of came out of nowhere well, thank you for joining us for today's episode of Chatterbox Reds. We greatly appreciate all of the love and support. If you have not yet subscribed to Chatterbox Reds on your favorite podcast platform, well, what are you waiting for? Do it right now as we have new episodes available bright and early the morning after every single Reds game this season, just in time for your daily commute, your morning coffee, or however else you get your day started. And also... Make sure that you're subscribed to Chatterbox Sports on YouTube so you can join us live after every single Reds game this season and be a part of the conversation. Hit the bell and turn on notifications also so you can get alerts on your phone whenever we go live. We hope that you have a fantastic day, and as always, go Reds.